Well, good morning again and welcome. First Samuel chapter 17. Go ahead and turn there. If you have a copy of the Word of God, Scott Sprouse, come on up here, brother. And Scott's going to read our scripture for us as we continue in our sermon series titled Against All Odds. And today we come to a story in this series, uh, which is perhaps one of the most beloved stories, most popular stories in all the Old Testament, the story of David and Goliath. And you know, it's just not people that are familiar with Bible study that know David and Goliath. Our culture has this theme through its literature and movies and in our sports, business, and politics, this theme of the underdog challenging and, and overcoming the giant it is one that is, that is really a human theme. But we want to look at it from God's perspective this morning. And that's what we're going to do in 1 Samuel chapter 17. So if you have your place, we're going to begin this morning. Why don't you stand for the reading of the Word of God this morning? I believe it's verse 19. Is that right, Scott? 1 Samuel uh, 17 verse 19. Scott is just a very a, a wonderful guy, a faithful, faithful member of the body here. When I see Scott Sprouse singing up here on Sunday morning at nine o'clock in the choir, I see faithfulness. When I hear about him as he leads in our single ministry area, as he leads in our single Bible study, I think faithfulness, brother. I'm grateful for you. Thank you for reading the Thank Word you. of God this morning. Now Saul and they and all of the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, were much afraid. And the, man, and the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel." And David said to the men who stood by him, what, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Scott. You may be seated and may you, Father, bless the reading and the teaching of your word this morning. So here's where we are. We're on a battlefield, and the portion of Scripture that, that Scott just read is really when David begins to understand what is happening in this battle against this giant named Goliath, and uh, Saul is still the king. David, in chapter 16, as we saw last week, was anointed king, but yet he will not ascend to the throne for a long time. So in our reading plan this week, we've been reading and watching David through a time period where he's anointed king, but he doesn't become king for another 15 years. 
In fact, he won't be king over all of Israel for another seven and a half years on top of that. 22 and a half years from the time in chapter 16 to the time he ascends to the throne of the entire nation. So we've been reading about what he's been doing, hiding and running from Saul. So in chapter 17, though, as we back up, in chapter 17, as David is anointed king in peacetime in 16 and 17, he's elevated as the leader of Israel in wartime in this great, great story. And it's a story where as the Philistines were their enemies, the enemies of the king, and they're at this point geographically where there's this piece of land, Israel to the north, the Philistines to the south. This is an important place, an important piece of land. Here is how the fight goes. You have this, this mountain range on one side, you have this mountain range on the other side, and in between is this valley. And the, and the Philistines, this representative named Goliath, comes down the mountain from the camp of the Philistines and in essence shakes his fist at the armies of Israel that are on the other side. Let's read about it there in verse 4 of chapter 17. Take a look. And, and here's the description of this man who comes down to the floor of the valley. It says this, And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. That's nine feet, nine inches tall. Three inches from the bottom of the rim of a 10-foot goal. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. That's not all your, your, your letters. That, that's a, this full weight of armor. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. So his armor weighed 125 pounds alone. He had bronze armor on his legs. He had a javelin of bronze slung between his soldiers. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron. Oh, and I love this at the end of verse 7. By the way, he had a shield bearer that went before him as well. You like that? Nine foot nine, strong, powerful, the champion they call him of the Philistines. So he's the, he is the greatest warrior. He has the greatest equipment. And here he comes to the floor of the valley. And he does something. He flexes not his muscles so much as his heart. His heart against the nation of Israel and ultimately against God. Verse 8. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw it for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you are not servants of Saul? So choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. And if he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now look at verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, I've just read this to you so that you understand and you instinctively know why they were afraid, but their fears here have paralyzed the army. Not only of the appearance of this giant, but they probably heard about his past, and there's no one on the other side that is willing to go and fight this guy. So understand this, for 40 days and nights, the, the text says, 40 days, one time in the morning, one time in the evening, 80 times 
this little show goes on where the giant comes down to the valley, shakes his fist, flexes his, his muscles and flexes his heart before him and says, there is no way that any of you are going to be able to take me. And the armies of Israel are over on the other side. And you can imagine, after 40 days, after time, say, 30, 35, 40, 45, get up to 60, 70, after 80 times, don't you think they not only are afraid, but then they begin looking at one another. I mean, just think through. I'm not adding to the text here. I'm just trying to think through the text. For 40 days, here they are at the top. They're probably looking at Saul. They're probably looking at one another. They're looking at the generals. They're looking at the elite soldiers saying, what are we going to do? Is anyone going to go out there? And everyone is just frozen. They're just paralyzed. And the longer this goes on, the more frozen and paralyzed they remain in their fear and in their discouragement. Now, here's the thing. Some of you this morning have giants in your life that you're facing. And what I want to do this morning is, from the Word of God, give you perspective. Perspective on what you see. Because here's what some of you see this morning. Some of you, all you can see is the giant in front of you, whether it's something that's been thrust upon you. You woke up one morning, whatever morning it was, and you got the word from the doctor. You woke up one morning and you heard the news from your boss or your husband, your wife looked at you and said something that you thought was totally unthinkable, unimaginable. Your children did the same thing. Some giants are just thrust on you. You wake up one morning, there they are. You're overwhelmed, that's all you can see. Some giants, some giants stand in your way. Some giants are there because of maybe your sin or because of your weakness, because of the because of your lack of character in your own life. Maybe some of it's a broken relationship. Maybe some of it is is something as the writer of Hebrews. I like what he says. The writer of Hebrews says, we all in this race run with things that, that weigh us down. So take it off, whatever it is, so that you can run. And some of those things that weigh you down, it's just not a trivial thing. It's huge. It's an addiction. It's a sin. It's a fear to to obey what God says, whatever it is. And and for some of you, it's been around a long, long time. And like the the enemy, or like the uh, Israel's army over here for 40 days, after a certain amount of time, you're wondering, am I ever going to be able to tackle this? Some of you, some of you, your giant stands in the way, and God says, hey, go get it. And you would have never in a million years said I can do that. Never would you have chosen that giant, that path. But God taps you on the shoulder and says, go. And you know in your heart of hearts, you have to do this thing. So what perspective do we have? So this is why thought number one this morning. I want to give you this perspective. Giants can either stretch your faith or paralyze your fear. This is a choice. Giants can either stretch your faith or paralyze you with fear. Now, I want to give you this choice because Saul and the armies are over here, paralyzed. David, you know the end of this story. His faith is going to move him. He sees something different that is going to move him, and the giant is something that ultimately brings glory to God. And as David progresses in this journey, 
from being anointed king, little shepherd boy, now militarily, now in the sight of the people. God is going to use this giant to move him along to a place where he would have never gotten there simply on his own. And here's the thing. Here's what giants do. Either you are paralyzed with fear for whatever reason, what your boss said, what the doctor says, what your husband and wife say, your own heart, what your own heart tells you. Either you're paralyzed in fear or you see this as an opportunity for the glory of God and for something good to move you along. It's all perspective. But it's hard when we're paralyzed with fear. Let me give you an example. So yesterday, Harrison and I were going to go to the movies and um, we're standing in the kitchen, my wife and I, and my wife just kind of grabs my arm. She says, look. And I look out our window onto our porch, and there in one of our little trees that we have there on the porch is this character that's up on your screen there. Can you see him? There he is right there. His head, his head is sticking out. That's right on our porch, and that's why my wife couldn't talk. <laughs> and that's when I saw him as well. And you know your pastor. I've told the story. Um, kids, listen to me. Kids, you ready? Ready? Don't use this word at home, but I hate snakes, okay? Hate them. And, and so my first instinct was fear. I was kind of paralyzed with fear. And Harrison's standing there, and here he is, and he, he's, he's about a five-foot black snake, all right? And, and so I know some of you gardeners that are out there, some of you people that work outdoors, you're like, oh, pastor, you know what? That snake is so good for you. You know what? I could care less. That's a five-foot black snake, and I hate him, right? I, I could care less, right? So Harrison's like, all right, Dad, what are we going to do? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> all right, um, let's go get a shovel. So we go out into the garage, and I grab a snow shovel, all right, and Harrison grabs like this, this hard rate pitchfork. I was like, you're going to need something else besides that. Go get the other shovel. So here come the shovel boys, right? And we're out on the porch. We're just staring at this. We're taking pictures, of course. That's what you do. And we're taking pictures of this thing. And so um, I don't know. I'm just paralyzed. I don't know what to do, right? And so I thought, okay, I'm going to call Tom. Tom's our neighbor across the fence. Tom's a smart guy, and he would know. He's out in the garden all the time. And Tom's like, hey, I'm downtown Greer eating. I can't help you. I'm like, all right. Call Lee, my next door neighbor. I saw him outdoors earlier in the day. I'm like, maybe Lee can help us out. Lee wasn't available. So I call um, a friend of ours, Chris Pierce, who, who, who's a member here, and he does some yard work, and I, and I FaceTime him. I said, look at this thing. And Chris, he's so good-natured. He's like, oh, Pastor, that's great. That's great. It's a little black snake, and it's good for you. How, how is that thing good for me? I mean, my wife, this thing one time, gang, I tell you what, he was on the tree, and he wants to get in this little nest that the birds have made, and he was showing off. That sucker just reared his head, and he just started stretching towards that nest. Sure, he's like, that's it, that's it, you got to go get him. So I said, Chris, we got to go get this thing. He's like, no, 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 here's what you do. Go get a pair of gloves. I don't know if, I think Chris was here the first service. I shut him off at the word, go get a pair of gloves. That's all I have to And just grab him behind the neck and pick him up. He's going to be okay. And you just take him out to the woods. And um, I thought pigs will wear blue jumpsuits and fly B-52 bombers before that ever, ever happens. There is no way. He's like, it's good, man. They, they eat your rats. They eat your poisonous snakes. They're all good for you. And um, I said, oh. 
Shree, what, what, do you, what do you think? We look at each other and we're like, absolutely not. I said, Chris, in my mind, I'm thinking this. Chris, I don't care if that thing has the character of Mother Teresa. I'm going to go chop his head off right now. He says, all right. So, so we go out, in the, <laughs> go out there on the porch and I have this shovel. And um, I'm, just, I'm just on the cuff trying to think of a plan. And I take that shovel and I just pop that thing. That thing goes, he goes flying off. And Shree's like, and, then, and I go, Harrison, let's go. We go running down the stairs. We go running around. And he's trying to get underneath our house. Now, you think about that. If you hate snakes, you think about that sucker underneath your house at night. I'm never sleeping after that. I ain't letting him go. I ain't letting him go. So I grab the shovel, and I just pin him down. And I'm waiting for the troops. Here comes Harrison. Woo! He says he's come flying, and he just slams that thing, and we take his head off. Where's that picture, Mason, of this guy? There he is. There he is right there. So the bottom four or five inches, his head is, is over there. You know how their mouths are going, ooh, like that. And um, I'm thinking, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm thinking, wow, that, that, the adrenaline's pumping, right? I'm thinking, that's pretty cool. We start taking pictures. We start getting it out to family members. We're like, hey, look at us, right? And, and then my brother-in-law texts back. He goes, um, hey, I can hear it in his voice in the, in the text. Hey, you know that thing's good for you. I said, Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what Chris said. He says, they eat your rats, they eat your poisonous snakes. We go to the movies, we're standing in line, and I'm telling a friend of mine about this. He goes, hey, why'd you kill it? <laughs> that thing's good for you. I'm like, oh, I got it, I got it. He, he goes, I, I said, <laughs> this was funny. He, he said, um, I said, Bo, Bo. I said, um, in all my time at my house, we have maybe seen two or three snakes maybe in seven or eight years. He goes, that's why he's taking care of your property. And so I'm sitting in the movies and I thought, oh my goodness, did I just make a mistake? And here's what I didn't have, right? I go out and this thing is a giant in my life and I'm just instantly what? Paralyzed. And then what do I do? Run into action. Man, I got the shovels out. And little do I know that the giant is what? For my good. That if I address it the right way, God is going to do something in me for his glory and for your good. Now, how do we do that? How does David do this? First Samuel chapter 17, we just read. Number one, giants can either paralyze you or assert your faith. Number two, God chooses unlikely people to demonstrate great faith. God chooses unlikely people to demonstrate great faith. So in verse 12, after verses 1 and 11, that's the bad news. They're paralyzed with fear. Verse 12, now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. And in the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. So the three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, and then there was Abinadab, and then there was Shema. But David was the what? Was the youngest. And if you keep reading all the way through 18, here's what David does. He's a shepherd boy, and his dad calls him and says, go to battle and take this food and take these provisions and go to battle and see how your brothers are doing and then come back and take care of your sheep. And I'm wondering if the narrator here is telling us this story to remind us once again, it's not Saul that's taking on the giant. It's not Eliab 
the oldest taking on the giant. It's not even the second born. It's not even the third born. It is the youngest. And oh, by the way, the youngest isn't an army ROTC that has a sense of what the military is about. This guy is a shepherd. This guy is delivering cheese to the front lines. He is the most unlikely of candidates. And here's the thing. Some of you are paralyzed in front of your giant because you're thinking, no way. I'm the most unlikely person. I'm the most unqualified. I, I am the most beaten down. I am the one who has been struggling with this. There is no way God this morning is saying, there's your giant. Because here's your perspective. Here's what you see. You see in photo mode only. And here's what I mean by that. I was looking through some pictures of the Grand Canyon when our family went last summer. There's some pictures of my kids and, and just the family, and it's a close-up shot, and you just see us and the Grand Canyon in the background, but you hardly see the Grand Canyon because it's primarily of us. But God doesn't see in photo mode like we do. God sees in panoramic mode. When I look through those pictures, there's some pictures where I've stood on the edge over the Grand Canyon, and I start here press the little button on my phone, and I go all the way, what? All the way across as far as I can go. And I have a perspective. And you don't know what God is going to do through you. You don't know where you're going. But He does. You don't know what He wants you to become. But He does. And we see we're locked down in photo mode, not panoramic mode, like God is. So number three. So David sees. Now here's where David is different. David sees what others don't. David sees that God does not have his rightful place. And here's what I mean by that. Is that when the Philistine comes down, here's the thinking back then. That if my army beats your army, and when he comes down and says, if we, if we defeat you, then, then my God is greater than your God. So when you hear the Philistine defying the armies of the living God, you got to take it one step further because he's not only taking his fingers and po poking it in the eye of Saul and the Israelites, but what he's saying is basically, hey, behind me are my gods, and my gods can defeat your gods. And here's what David understands in the portion that Scott just read us. When he asks this question, who is this? What he's saying is, who is this giant when it comes to the rightful place of Almighty God? Turn over to verses 46 and 47. When he stands before the giant, David finally gets down there. He stands before the giant and he says this. David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. You see what he's saying there? Hey, our God is the living God. You serve a dead God, Goliath. But here it is, verse 46. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down. I'll cut off your head. And I will give the dead birds of the air and, and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth, here it is, here it is, box it in, underline it, highlight it. 
here's what, where, de- where God's rightful place is, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Verse 47, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. So here's what David is trying to get at. This is what he sees, and here's his heart. God is not in his rightful place. So as you look at your giant, is God in the rightful place? Or is that, that sickness or that or that? That anxiety or that worry or that sin or that relationship or that fear, whatever it is, does it rise up over God? And how I respond to that, am I acting in a way that is godlike or godly, or am I acting as if I'm a practicing atheist? Here is my giant. On Sunday, I sing and I worship God, but on Monday, I practice my my everyday life like God doesn't exist. And here's what David sees, that all the earth may know. There's a mission heart right there, that all the earth may know that God is who he says he is, and that all the assembly may know, that everyone in here may know, that though... that the the cowering, fearful army up here, that they may know that God is not in his rightful place. And I'm focused on this now. Amazing. He sees differently than we do. So what happens as he begins to step out? So go to verse, go to verse 28. Now Eliab, his older brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. David said, What have I done? Was it simply something I said? Look at what he does, verse 30. And he turns, he turns, I lost my place here. He turns away from him towards someone else and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him as before. So under this third section of what that David sees differently, letter A, you're going to have to see past the opposition. You're going to have to see past those who oppose you. Here's the sad part, that Eliab, his older brother, is the one who should have been like his father figure when he comes down, but instead he's embarrassed to see him. He's angry. He looks at him and he goes, you know what? You are here because you, you have evil in your heart. I mean, he just totally, he, he, he misinterprets what David has come down to do. He applies something that is not true to David's heart. And the one who should have been, hey, David, come here, man, let me walk you through this. Let me show you what's going on here, why we're fearful. What do you think is the one who says, you are a scoundrel for coming down here? He's angry. So, Under letter A, how do you see past the opposition? You respond with godly focus. I love what David did. He just simply turns. Hey, hey, the people pleaser, the people pleaser in David would have been like, okay, okay, um, why don't I come back next time, Eliab, and and see if this can work out? Or maybe he'd go over and, and talk with some of the some of the guys that, that maybe look like they could take on the giant and, and kind of respond in that way. Hey, the aggressor, the aggressor on the other side of the scale and, and how we respond to opposition, uh, the aggressor would have been, Eliab, you know what? You don't get it. You don't see what I see. And you know what? I'm going to take, take you out right now before I take out the giant. You want to take me on? Come on. 
either response is wrong. The response is to say, I'm going to respond in a godly way, but with a godly focus on what you want me to do. He simply says, okay, how do we do this, right? Letter B, you're going to have to see past the odds. You're going to have to see past everything that accumulates against you rationally, rationally that says there's no way this can be done. Quickly, go down to verse 30. Go down to verse uh, 31. Look at this. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Here's what he says. Saul to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you're but a youth, and he's been a professional for his youth. You're incapable. You just can't do it. I love your heart. I, 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 I love your spirit. So I pulled you in here. You, you, you can't do it. David, verse 34. David says, though, Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there was a lion, a bear, or a lamb, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. So when a lion and bear would come and snatch one of the sheep, I'd go after him. And I would strike him and deliver him from his mouth. And if he rose against me, I would catch him by his beard and I would strike and kill him. So your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this Philistine is going to be like them. For he has what? Defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And so here's what David is, is uh, doing. He's remembering God's faithfulness. So under letter A, opposition comes, respond with godly focus. Respond with godly focus. Letter B, stacked up against you, just rationally, reasonably, no way it works, doesn't calculate out. Well, then you remember. How has God delivered me? And then you remember this. You remember God's power is so great. I love in verse 37, the Hebrew for the word paw of the lion, paw of the word um, of the bear, and hand of the Philistine. It's the very same word. In other words, here's David's line of thought. Anything that stands against me is no match. I don't care if it's a lion, a bear, or a nine-foot-nine man. It doesn't matter. It pales in comparison to the power of Almighty God. And that's what some of you need to hear this morning. Your perspective is so skewed because that's all you can see is in front of you. But David is saying, look, it doesn't matter. The power of God is so much more greater than letter C. Letter C. See past the conventional methods of doing things. So Saul pulls him in. We don't have time to read it all, but Saul pulls him in and he tries on his armor and he says, um, okay, go, go to it. And David David can barely move and he's like, look, 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 look. I can't do this. I know you're fitting me for what you're supposed to fight with. I know, I know you're trying to equip me. I get that. But here's, the th here's another response. You ready? Rely on how God has provided in the past. Letter C. There's some conventional ways of doing things. But there's a point in time where you're simply going to have to say in your spiritual life, you know what? 
I'm going to have to rely on how God has fitted me and God has used me. I have a slingshot here. Slingshot is what he was comfortable with. Slingshot is what he was capable with. Rely on what God has provided already. And so number four, as we close up our time this morning, is this. Act in faith knowing that it's not your battle to win or lose. Look at verse 47, a simple statement. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. If you think it's your battle, here's what's going to happen. You're either going to jet out in self-confidence, like I did on the porch with a shovel. (laughs) If you think this is my battle and I have to win or lose this, this is my reward, this is my reputation, this is my deal, my name is on the line. If you think this is your battle and you jet out in self-confidence, you could just fall flat on your face. On the other hand, if you think it's your battle, you're going to look inside yourself, some of you, and you're going to say, there's no way. I don't, have the, I don't have the tools to do this. I don't have whatever it takes to accomplish this because I've seen other people accomplish this. I don't have what it takes. Either self-confidence or, self, or self-esteem, whatever it is. You know what's at the middle of both of those poles right there? You know what's at the middle of that? pride. It's pride that says, you know what? I can do this. On the other hand, it's pride that says, I can't do this because you're either way you're thinking about yourself. And here's what David says. The battle is what? Is whose? The battle, this is not my battle. It's his. I'm the tool. I'm the, I'm the one that God is going to use. This is his. Now, how are you going to apply that this week? How are you going to apply that? What what giant do you face this week? You're going to take these notes, you're going to take these thoughts, and you're going to run with them this week, and how are you going to face the giant differently this week? How are we as a church going to respond this week? Go ahead and turn uh, into your bulletin. I I want you to pull out this sheet right here. This is... This is something we want to do as we, as we close our time together. A couple of weeks ago, we were able to celebrate how some of you made commitments to the Lord, and you came up and you put names on a card and you laid them on the, um, on the altar here. And uh, we had different ways to commit, but this particular uh, way was the name in which you listed almost 250, 250 names, family members, offices, whatever it is. And you wrote, I want to pray for those. And we took those with us, and we celebrate your heart for lostness. But here's the thing. If that's all we did and just left them there, I I don't think we would be obedient to the Lord and moving out and to what God has called us to do from his heart and from his word, which is we exist as a body make disciples and to reach losses. And as we've been together in the Word, which has been so sweet, and as we've come together in our worship, little did I know what this would look like at the beginning of the year, but God in His incredible sovereignty has given us an opportunity to be be together in our witness. And so here's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do this over the course of the next few weeks. We're going to focus on this together in our witness. And I I want you to take this card, and I want you to to take it seriously this week. 
we want you, first of all, to identify the person God has put in your life in order to reach them with the gospel. Pray if, if there's not a name. Remember that name you wrote down? Put their name down in there. Last night I received a text from someone that I've had meals with, I've had coffees with, and I'm praying that God would open his heart to the gospel. It's going to be hard. And I've kind of forgotten about him, honestly. Oh, just lost touch a little bit. Got a text last night. Hey, would you come join me for an event? I'm not going to be able to go. I'm going to be out of town. But I thought, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Identify who it is that God is speaking to you and saying, this is the one who is lost, who's without Jesus. Number two, share that with a life group member, a, a D group. Pray together by name for this person regularly. So Wednesday morning when I get together with my guys, guys, if you're here, you're listening, we're going to start praying through these, um, these things regularly. We, we've prayed some, but we're, we're going to commit to praying through this together. It holds me accountable. It holds your pastor accountable that I'm going to do what I say I, 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 I'm going to do from the pulpit here. Then schedule a date and time to be with that person. Here's the hard part. To schedule something and say, on that particular day and time, it's a meal, it's a coffee, it's something where the gospel is going to take another step forward. Where I'm going to get really serious about this. And you're thinking, I can't do that. Why did we just go through 1 Samuel chapter 17? Huh? Odds, think of the opposition. Think of yourself. Oh, this is the heart of God, gang. To love people. Schedule that time. Spend some time with them and then pray. Tell your group, tell your life group, tell your husband, tell your wife, tell your pastor, tell a minister, whoever, and say, you know what? I'm praying on such and such. Uh, will you pray on such and such a time because I'm going to be with them and maybe it'll be an opening to do the last thing to proclaim the gospel. You know what? If all we do is have coffee, and I'm saying this to your pastor here, if all we do is have coffee and all we do is eat at some point, if I do not declare the good news of Jesus Christ, I have not done my job. I've not carried the heart of God all the way to these sweet people. How do you do that? How do I share? Well, right here, I have a, um, a tool for you. You can go out these doors right here. Jeremy Thompson over at the Reach Desk has a few of these. We don't have many. Really, you can find them online. You can find them online at Life Conversation Guide. It's called Three Circles. It is really simple. It'll take you just a couple of minutes to walk through. You can go through with your D group, with your family, with your life group. You can walk through this together and learn together. How do I share the gospel in a simple, effective way? Now, listen, listen. Gospel sharing is not this, though. Gospel sharing is not just quick, go in, give them my little presentation and go out. to help you so that when you walk into that coffee or that lunch or you're walking with that person your heart is ready your heart is ready to talk to them about their brokenness and their sin to talk to them about God's design for their life to talk to them about how they can be reconnected to a holy God So over the next few weeks, this is, our, this is where we're going, together in our witness. Every week, I'm going to bring it to you. I'm going to ask you, where are you? Where are you, church? Let's pray. Let's pray that God brings many, many people 
to hear the good news of the hope that they need. Amen. Amen. Will you pray with me now, Lord, as we as we now commit to you what we've heard this morning. This is a giant sharing the gospel. This is why we're starting out the way we're starting out. Prayer, accountability with others. Father, give your people courage. And, and then would you give them courage today to, to, to speak to you about whatever it is in their life and to, to encounter you beyond Sunday morning. That tomorrow morning during this week, they would take the word of God and they'd open it. And through the spirit of God, their hearts would be soft and they would no longer fear and they would no longer be overconfident perhaps, but they would say, yes, God, if this is where you're leading, if this is the giant, I surrender my heart to you. Use me to bring glory to your name. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.